Welcome to Sunday School Dropouts, the podcast where an ex-Christian and a non-believing sort of Jew read all the way through the Bible for the first time. I'm Lauren O'Neill. And I'm Nico Bakulich. And let's get biblical. All right. Tonight we are drinking Irish whiskey. I think that's not really the main thing that people tune in to find out. It's what I would tune in to find out. Also, I can't believe that you're launching in to your own whole thing without describing the ground rules. Oh, okay. I was I was just focused on the on the Tullamore Dew. We all know what you're focused on. Okay. Getting um, that money. <laughs> <laughs> I'm the ex-Christian. I was raised Presbyterian. I am now an atheist. Normally, I read the New International Version of the Bible, but we're doing some apocryphal books today, so I am reading a completely new version to me, which is the Common English Bible. Wow, okay. The CEB. Yep. SEBI. That's the one. Mm -hmm. And I'm the non-believing sort of Jew, and this is not a Christian Bible study podcast. It's not for children, and this one has a lot of gruesome violence again. It does. So watch out. Yeah. You might get burnt. And also, like... um. Holocaust references? So, like, I don't know, exercise caution. Please. Please exercise caution. Um, what else do the people need to know? Nothing except tonight we're reading the third and fourth books of Maccabees. Third and fourth Maccabees. They are, um... Even more apocryphal than first and second Maccabees. Is that true? Yes. You see, I actually didn't look into how, um... How apocryphal they were. So first and second I didn't Maccabees check the old apocryphometer. <laughs> are, are canonical for Catholics. Mm -hmm. These ones are not. Oh. Um, third Maccabees is canonical for most Orthodox churches. I see. Fourth Maccabees is basically not canonical at all. It's in an appendix in the Greek Orthodox Bible. And it's in the Georgian Orthodox Bible. Wow. But pretty much nothing else. It used to be in the Romanian Bible, but no longer. Not good enough for the Romanian Bible. Yeah, and we'll see why. So they're they're totally different books, though. In fact, they really shouldn't even be called Maccabees. They don't have anything to do with Judas Maccabeus. Um, they're all around the same time period, but they all got lumped in in a weird way, even though they're all by different people and from, from slightly different, different places. And, yeah. Um, but so we're going to start with third Maccabees. Do you have any fast facts? Yeah. Okay. Well, lay a mommy then. Okay. I'm about to. I'm trying. If you would stop interrupting me. It's about... Love you, baby. <laughs> I love you, too. It's about 300 years after the Babylonian exile ends. We're around 200 BC, mm. much like last week. Um, as we also mentioned last week, what happened was, you know, Alexander the Great took over everything. Then he died and his kingdom got split up amongst his generals. Mm -hmm. um, and Judah, where the Jews live is in the region under um, the Seleucid Empire, mm -hmm. so named because the first emperor was the general Seleucus. Um, but there's another region centered in Egypt, and that was controlled by a general named Ptolemy. Mm -hmm. Actually, just Ptolemy. I don't know why. I don't know how a silent P can exist. It seems... You know what? I mean... That would be a, a moment to step into the etymology corner if you had if you had prepared for that. You know, I haven't. That's okay. I'm sorry. That corner is, frankly, filthy anyways. <laughs> and it's my turn to clean it, and I apologize. Um, so that's so so in in Egypt we have the Ptolemaic dynasty. Mm. Um and and for third Maccabees, we're going to be talking about 
Ptolemy the Fourth, Philopater. Yeah. Another father lover. Yeah. Or or doe lover. Mm-hmm. Doe father. Yeah. Doe lover. The doe, doe dad. Boy. Doe dad. The doe dad. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah. But so there. It's it's the Egyptian king, but he is like ethnically and culturally Greek. And he's and, based in Alexandria. Yes, which is the capital of Egypt at the time. Mm-hmm. And I think he's the grandfather of the Ptolemy that we mentioned last week. Really? I think so, yeah. Wow. Um, that would be good knowledge if it were true. I, I'm i not 100% sure because it gets a little confusing <laughs> when you're trying to figure out like cross-referencing with like Wikipedia and stuff, like what in the Bible is actually historical. Mm-hmm. Um. But so, yeah. Snapping back in between tabs, like Bible-lies. Yeah. Dot info. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And mm-hmm. like governmentconspiracies.gov. Yeah. And the, the skeptics 420 vape Bible. Yeah. <laughs> that's my favorite one. Mm-hmm. I don't know why I've been reading the NIV this whole time. So should we, should we start with chapter one? We should. So this is quite the book. Just off the top of uh, top of the of the piece, yeah. This book gave me chills reading it. Yeah, it's it's pretty intense. So we start with um with Ptolemy slash Philopater, mm-hmm. um, and he he defeats Antiochus the third in battle. Um, Antiochus is the Seleucid emperor at the time, and the Jews are psyched about this because. As we know from last week, they've been resisting the Hellenizing force of the Seleucid Empire. Um, and in a few years, they'll do the Maccabean Revolt. Mm-hmm. Um, so they invite Philopater, Floppy Tor, nope. to, to Jerusalem. And they give him all these gifts and he makes sacrifices to their god, etc. He gets the whole he gets the whole royal treatment. Yeah. But then he wants to enter the holiest chamber of the temple, which he is not allowed to do. In fact, like most priests aren't even allowed to do. Yeah, they explain that only the high priest enters and only like once a year. Yeah, it's like drill at the Betsy Ross Museum. Mm -hmm. It's like, yeah, everybody asks, but like they don't even let me fuck the flag. Right. Yeah. We'll have to provide an annotation for that because that sounds strange. I think that all of our listeners know about the drill Betsy Ross tweet. Okay. (laughs) Except for my mom. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Hi, Mary. <laughs> so, so they're like, no, you can't go in there. And he's like, I'm the king. I'm going to go in there. Mm-hmm. And so then everyone in Jerusalem starts freaking out and they just like drop what they're doing and they all rush to the temple um, and they're like wailing and praying. I don't know exactly what the timeline is here because it seems like it would kind of take a while for like everyone in Jerusalem to get there. So like maybe he's just like walking really slowly, like one maybe he is but maybe it's it's like a political standoff Step. he says he says i want to get in the temple at and they say well i don't know i really don't think so but like why don't you just stay in the nicest place we have and we'll we'll work it out we'll we'll figure out if you can go into the temple and right. in the meantime the entire town rallies and the text says the continuous vehement and concerted cry of the crowds resulted in an immense uproar yeah for it seems that not only the people, but also the walls and the whole earth around echoed, because indeed all at that time preferred death to the profanation of the place. <laughs> and and the high priest Simon, who is not the evil high priest Simon from first and second Maccabees. No, this is a fresh Simon. Um, he is like praying. He's like, please do not let this fool into the secret 
chamber. In fact, what he prays is, Almighty, give attention to us who are suffering grievously from an impious and profane man, puffed up in his audacity and power. Oof. It's a little too close to home right now. And Simon asks God, (laughs) basically, don't blame the Jews for the assholery of this king. That also hits a little close to home. So he's he's like getting closer. He's like taking some tiny, really slow steps. But then as he gets close to the chamber, God basically like gives him a seizure. It's as he like shakes him really hard Mm -hmm. and, and throws him down to the ground and he's temporarily paralyzed and can't speak. And they like, you know, drag him away and he does recover. But instead of learning his lesson, he swears vengeance. Yeah. He says, the Jews have turned against me. They've cast their witchcraft. They've got their God turned against me and given me some sort of spell. So he gets back to Alexandria and he starts oppressing the Jews there, even though they had nothing to do with the temple in Jerusalem. When he arrived in Egypt, he increased in his deeds of malice, abetted by the previously mentioned drinking companions and comrades who were strangers to everything just. Yeah. So in our last episode, we mentioned the friends of the king. Mm-hmm. The king's friends capitalized. Mm-hmm. Yes. Which is the term for like courtiers or advisors or just these. We're not really sure. Hangers, it might just be his friends. Hangers on. Yeah. His crew. His his reckon crew. His entourage. As he called them. His reckon crew. Um, but here they come up a couple times. So he has drinking companions and comrades. Mm-hmm. These are the king's friends. Mm-hmm. And they egg him on. Mm-hmm. And what happens next is bizarre because it's extremely similar to Nazi Germany, despite being written approximately 2,000 years Well, it's similar, it's similar to every large-scale persecution of Jews in history. I mean, yes, but its particulars are, like, strangely alike, well, right? I so— mean- First, he makes all the Jews sign up for a registry. Right. Um, He makes them catalog their property so that it can be confiscated. And he makes them wear a marker, although it's not a yellow star. It's actually kind of even worse because it's branded onto their skin like a cattle brand. Mm -hmm. And it's the ivy leaf of Dionysus. Which is supposed to be like a slam on them because it's going to be an idol worship thing. Um, And then it says, but so as not to seem hateful to all... He added, but if any of them should prefer to, like, convert to Greek religious practices, these are to enjoy political rights equal to the Alexandrians. It's so interesting to me that, like, this king, who doesn't need to win an election, Mm -hmm. still thinks it's important to not seem hateful to all. Yeah, it is strange. It, like, kind of gives me an idea of, like, how the power is with the people, even under a monarchy. That's true. That's true. I mean, he has to walk in the streets and his troops have to walk in the streets and his troops are recruited from the people, presumably. So a few of the Jews go along with this and they start acting Greek. You know, they they join the fraternity, they get hazed, they just get really inducted into Greek life. Nice. And uh, but the rest of them don't. Most people don't. Most Jewish people don't. And they pay bribes to officials in order to not get on the registry. Well, there's also a tax that they have to pay, but they're exempt from if they convert, obviously. Right. Then it gets even more Holocausty. Well, uh, but Ptolemy is is like when he realizes that the Jews aren't all bending to his will uh-huh. and aren't being properly humbled by uh-huh. this this registry that he's set up. Yeah. Um, he gets personally upset. 
This is very. He gets personally upset at like everything. That's true. That's that's the running theme of this is that this is like a personal battle between him and the Jews of Alexandria. The the way the story is laid out, there are no real political yeah, machinations. No. There are no. It's sp- all him being a fucking petty, narcissistic asshole. Yeah. It's him. Something that. Yeah. We couldn't possibly know anything about in America right now. Um, so basically, he's so upset that the that the Jews aren't properly oppressed by these laws mm-hmm. that he decides to take it the next step. He's like, well, we already got a list of all the Jews. Uh, round them up and yes. we're going to eliminate them. It says he gives an order that all the Jews, quote, should all be gathered together at once into one place and killed by the most by the most brutal means possible. It's like literally a concentration camp like that's the definition, you know. And some Gentiles start making up lies about how the Jews are trying to force everyone else to be Jewish, too. Um, and the quote is, they kept harping on the differences in worship and diet and claimed the Jewish people were loyal neither to the king nor to the authorities, but were hostile and strongly opposed to the royal administration. Again, eerily similar to the Holocaust. One thing it mentions is what the Greeks thought of this at the time, which was um, the Greeks in the city, though wronged in no way, when they saw an unexpected tumult around these people and the crowds that suddenly were forming, were not strong enough to help them, for they lived under tyranny. They did try to console them, being grieved at the situation and expected that matters would change, for such a great community ought not to be left to its fate when it had committed no offense. But they did nothing. So, the Jews get rounded up. They get... uh, put into shackles um, while the Gentiles watch and cheer because, quote, the deep, long-standing hatred was now openly being revealed. Um, and it's like, it's old people, it's children, it's like brides still in their bridal gowns. Everybody gets shackled and put on a ship and shipped to a place with an empty stadium that Philopator is using as a concentration camp. One thing I'd like to mention is this text is really interesting because it includes at two times letters from Philopater mm-hmm. that are basically his rationalization for his actions. Mm-hmm. And they're, it's, it's very interesting because it's not very often in the Bible. And I know we're not technically in the Protestant Bible here, but it's very not very we're often. We're in the Orthodox Bible, so we're still somewhat canonical. It's not often that the Bible will have strong shifts of point of view in, in the text or like or like a metatextual mm-hmm. overview, if you know what I'm saying, mm-hmm. like that there'll be one text and then an insert of another text. This one is very interesting because of the way that Philopater justifies his actions. Even though we as the reader are presented with the obvious fact that this is like a personal vendetta mm-hmm. or something born out of a desire for property or wealth. And the author certainly editorializes that. Yeah. Yeah. The letter that we're given gives alternative explanations that are from Philopater's point of view. Um, the the Doe-Dad. Ju- I'm sorry? The Doe-Dad. Doe-Dad, yeah. Doe-Father. Uh, no, Doe-Father. <laughs> um, the Jews, they not only spurn the priceless citizenship, but also both by speech and by silence, they abominate those few among them who are sincerely disposed towards us. Therefore, fully convinced by these indications that they are ill-disposed towards us in every way, we have taken precautions so that, If a sudden disorder later arises against us, we shall not have these impious people behind our backs as traitors and barbarous enemies. Um, So he he 
reframes this pogrom mm-hmm. as an effort to improve the safety of his state. To, to like, basically, we can't be secure unless we're sure that everyone in the state right. is 100% behind me. Unless we're sure that all these scapegoats are dead. Yeah, well, I mean, and the way he... The way it's organized as a as a relationship between him personally and a group of people, he can't trust that group of people mm-hmm. because they didn't let him into the temple. Mm-hmm. So he, if he can't trust them, the state and the and the, the society as a whole can't trust them. Yeah, and that's that's how he lays out the thoughts as um, in his letters to the people, explaining why they're rounding up Jews and putting them in the stadium. Yes. Um, and so then here, God uh, works his first sort of miracle. Which is that the Egyptian government is still uh, making the registry, but God makes them run out of paper and ink. Which, like, it feels like maybe you should have done that before the registry was like done. <laughs> there are a couple of minor miracles in this book. I just I, I described them that maybe it should have come a little earlier. Right. So Philopator, the doughboy, calls for quote Herman the Elephant Keeper. Which sounds like a jovial character in a children's book, but is very much not. So Herman the Elephant Keeper is assigned to get 500 elephants drunk and then let them loose in the stadium where all the Jews are shackled. Um, And the direct quote is, they expected that the entire race would come to a ruinous end. Why the fuck are they actual Nazis in the year like 200 BC. I don't know, but it's it's literally 2000 years before the Holocaust and it, like it gives me it gave me chills to read this. It's super disturbing. So Herman is about to go unleash the elephants. But then God makes the doughboy fall asleep. So he can't give like the final thumbs up. And at this point, the king is he's drinking his days away with his friends. So he's like it's it's implied that he you know misses appo- he misses appointments yeah he sleeps in late he parties all the time yeah so then then the next day Herman's like okay slight delay no problem are we going ahead with the elephant genocide thing and um, then God strikes Philopater with confusion and so he's like what are you talking about like what elephants I don't know what you're talking about and then the next day he's like what the fuck Herman. I thought we were going to do the elephant genocide. Yeah. And then Herman's like, well, okay, like you told me not to. I don't know. <laughs> Finally get their shit together. They get the hundreds of elephants. They get them all drunk and they head toward the stadium. And it says the Jews that are locked up in the stadium can see the cloud of dust rising from all the elephants and they can see it getting closer and closer. And they're like praying and kissing their loved ones goodbye. And then there's this high priest, Eleazar who starts praying and he's like, you saved Moses from Pharaoh with a miracle. You saved Daniel's friends from the fiery furnace with a miracle. You saved Jonah from the belly of a whale. Now you got to save us from these murderous elephants. Let not the vain minded praise their vanities at the destruction of your beloved people saying not even their God has rescued them. And then bam, just as the king arrives, God opens the heavens It says he showed forth his holy face and sent down two glorified angels of frightful appearance, visible to all except the Jews. Mm -hmm. So this is like the thing where like looking upon God is like, like kills you. Yes. Yeah. But so they appear to only 
Ptolemy and his men, mm-hmm. and the Jews can't see it. Uh, the elephants can see it. <laughs> so they turn around and start running away in terror and, of course, trample a bunch of soldiers instead of the Jews that they were supposed to trample. And there were onlookers, too. People from the town had gathered to mm-hmm. see the destruction of the Jews. Yeah. And uh, the king goes into a Donald Trump crybaby meltdown. Um, he's like, why do you guys always persecute the Jews? None of this is my fault. Why is God punishing me? This is so unfair to me. Everything is about me, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but the end result of that is that he frees all the Jews and actually even gives them supplies for a feast. And the feast lasts seven days and it becomes a holiday. And it says like every year, that's like why we celebrate this week long holiday. But it doesn't say what the name of the holiday is. And I'm not clear if it's still celebrated. I'm unclear as well. One thing I'd like to point out is the second letter that I mentioned happens at the end of the arrival of the angels. Uh Uh-huh. When... This is probably the meltdown. Yeah. Ptolemy writes a letter to everybody explaining what's going on now. And his letter, he basically claims responsibility for like saving the Jews and... And sort of forswears having ever condemned them in the first place. It says, certain of our friends, frequently urging us with malicious intent, persuaded us to gather together the Jews of the kingdom in a body and to punish them with barbarous penalties as traitors. For they declared that our government would never be firmly established until this was accomplished because of the ill will that these people have had towards all nations. Mm-hmm. They also led them out with harsh treatment as slaves or rather as traitors and girding themselves with a cruelty more savage than that of Scythian custom. They tried without any inquiry or examination to put them to death. But we, we very severely threatened them for these acts. And in accordance with the clemency that we have toward these people, we barely spared their lives. That's how that's how Ptolemy writes his press release after this. In other words, Hillary Clinton started the birther movement and I ended it. yeah, or any anything, any any situation like this. It's it's just it gives me chills because having these these letters shows how a a, a leader would shape their their public image, public image, or their policy sound like a, a rational thing mm-hmm. when, it's, when it's an expression of of irrational personal thought or of prejudice uh, is is terrifying. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's terrifying now, mm-hmm. and it's. Most of all, terrifying to me, like it opens this yawning chasm of history behind me (laughs) where it's always happened. Yeah. Even when he doesn't need to rely on elections. When there's no mass communication. Yeah. When there's no. It's it's crazy to think. It's so upsetting. The same dynamic could possibly be in play now in the U.S., you know? Yeah. Or. And yet it is. at, at, At any time. I mean, the fact that they gathered them in a stadium reminds me of. You know, Argentina and the and the horrible things that yeah. were that were done there, or in Brazil as well. They command the junta commandeered stadium to to round up people, and it's just it's exactly the same as today, and it's two thousand years old. I know it's it's, it's terrifying because it's like what we're never going to get past this. Like we're just we're just going to keep repeating this literally forever. I don't know, I don't know. Except the only thing about this story is that angels show up and make sure that nobody gets killed. Yeah, <laughs> and then. They live happily ever after, except that they also they have to first find the the renegade Jews, quote unquote, still a great band name that that, that converted, had converted during the Greek registry times life yeah. at the very beginning of the book. And they kill them all. It's about 300. And then everybody lives happily ever after. So I tried to find 
I figure there must be something somewhere like literature comparing this to the actual Holocaust. I couldn't find anything. I looked, I mean, obviously I'm, I was just looking on Google. I was looking at Google books. I wasn't like. You didn't ask your local librarian. Yeah, anything. I wasn't yeah. like, you know, doing a bunch of scholarly research, but I couldn't find anything. And I searched for like an hour. I kept trying to find stuff and I would find, you know, occasional sort of cross references to like describing Third Maccabees as like a Holocaust style event, but nothing more in depth than that. But the, and, but the way the politics are arranged is so eerie. I know. And I, so I thought it must be that like s- some Jews in Nazi Germany must have thought of Third Maccabees when this started happening. How but could I, they not? But I couldn't find anything about it. I mean, maybe it's just as well because like it would be really fucked up if if you were like, OK, well, what we got to do is pray and then God's going to show his face and he's going to send his angels and it'd be fucked up if that didn't happen. You know what I mean? Yeah, I do. And I apologize to everybody that's kind of a downer, but this was just like, I don't know. This, this, this would book... be fucked up to read at any time. Yeah. But like, especially at this moment in political history, it's it was like, it was very upsetting. I agree. Very upsetting. But there is more Bible to come. Yes. And it'll get. Well, it'll still be bloody, but it'll be goofier. Much goofier, <laughs> thankfully. So, we're going to take a break. We're going to come back to nice, happy blood spurting and torture. Mm-hmm. Sounds good. Bye. Bye. Welcome back to Sunday School Dropouts. I'm Nico. And I'm Lauren. And we are talking about the third and fourth Maccabees. <laughs> third Maccabees. We did just turn the mics off and talk for like half an hour about how disturbed we were by third Maccabees. We decided it wasn't super appropriate for the podcast to like get into our darkest like Holocaust fears. Um, so just to let you know, listeners... We're all good. Yeah, <laughs> we've we've worked it out between us. <laughs> you can simmer in your Holocaust fears now alone without us. Everything's light and breezy um, from here on so out. We are now going to get into the Book of Fourth Maccabees, which um, might have actually been written after Jesus. Is that true? It's, it's very strange. <laughs> it's definitely written before 70 AD, which is when the Romans destroyed the second temple okay. in Jerusalem, because that's like doesn't factor in. Right. Um, but it it may have been written at any time pretty much between 100 BC 
and the fall of the Second Temple. Hmm. So this, it could possibly have been written after Jesus. The style of the philosophy is very Greek. Yes, it is very Greek. Um, it's written by an Alexandrian Jew, apparently, hmm. in Greek. Um, and it is like, even though it's about following Jewish law, mm-hmm. that's the whole point of it. Right. It is definitely written in what I assume is Greek influence because it, it's like an essay that they teach you to write today in school where it's like you have a thesis you and, your you thesis have and then you examples yeah. and then you have a conclusion. Um, this one is canonical in even fewer churches, as I mentioned. I'm pretty much just the Georgian Orthodox Church. That makes sense because I would not add this to canon. No, I would not either. That canon won't fire. <laughs> it's uh it's, uh, again, not really sure why it's called Maccabees. It takes place around the same era, but it doesn't mention. Who, who named these things? Who organized this? I don't know. I don't know. Is this just a grab bag? Or they were like the very late books? I have no idea. Hmm. Wikipedia didn't tell me and light <laughs> Googling didn't tell me. Therefore, <laughs> I don't know. You should always stretch before before heavy Googling. <laughs> yeah. And you just didn't have time. Um, And, but we are going to get. This book is mainly going to focus on the seven brothers mm. that got fried alive in a giant pan in mm-hmm. Second Maccabees. But it starts with a very strange statement. Yes. The thesis statement of this book. Of this essay. Is that reason trumps emotion. Yes. Uh, um, the first, the very first sentence is, I'm about to prove a most important philosophical principle. Godly thinking is supreme. Over emotions and desires. Mm. Sentence one, and it's already fucking insufferable. (laughs) It is pretty insufferable. It gave me feelings of... Revulsion. Revulsion. (laughs) Flashbacks to uh, internet atheists. Yes, internet atheists and men's rights activists. Uh A little bit just being like, well... You know, emotion is evil, uh-huh. but reason is good, and you can always control emotion with reason. Yes, and in this... and those are very slightly coded for male, male and female. Male and female, yeah, yeah, which we'll get to later in this book. But um, he, so he actually he takes a paragraph to define his terms mm-hmm. very clearly. Again, classic like, essay structure. Yeah, classic essay structure. Um, and he defines clear thinking as. The mindset that uses plain logic to choose the life of wisdom. So he's going to be, that's his his term for logic is clear thinking, at least in the CEB. Mine mine used much more discussion of reason. It reason. was all about reason versus emotion. Okay. Yeah, it's, it's the same thing here. It's just translated slightly differently. So we've got clear thinking or reason, which uh, quote unquote tames the jungle of habits and emotions. <laughs> what does yours have? I don't, I didn't make a note in particular, but there's a lot of flowery language like that. Um, this author loves the, loves the simile. Yes. Uh, there are some that are like egregious. Um, he talks about, in the first few chapters, he basically just like introduces the concept. He talks about how um, religious law forces you to act according to reason, even when your emotions cloud your judgment. For example, not destroying your enemies' orchards during war. One other example he brought up was um, Daniel and the lions. And he said that Daniel obeyed reason because he still trusted God even when he was thrown to the lions. Yeah, so he has kind of a weird definition of reason. 
slash clear thinking. Well, I mean, it's it's messed up because his definition of reason or clear thinking is based on the assumption that everything comes from God. Yes. Yeah. That if that, reason equals godly thinking, those right. are the same to him. There's no distinction that like good Jewish law is the basis for reasonable thinking. So reasonable thinking will always win out over anything. Because it's got the backing of God to it. Now it does kind have of a stacked some, argument when you break it down like yeah, that. Yeah, it is. But it does have some um, elements. The argument does have some elements that I um, that I think are like worthy, which are well, worthy. Like I decide what's worthy. I don't fucking know. But like um, I, I wrote down this quote: "None of us can eliminate that kind of emotion, but clear thinking makes it possible for us not to be slaves to our emotions." That's true. He did note that nobody can be free of anger or fear or whatever but the goal is to prevent those from changing your actions yeah so after explaining his thesis and defining his terms Mm -hmm. as any good eighth grader should do (laughs) uh the action begins and he sort of gives a brief summary of the conflict between simon and onias during the reign of one particular antiochus anyway this was, was this was the same story that was covered in Maccabees 1 and 2, mm-hmm. aka 1st and 2nd Maccabees. Mm-hmm. Um, Only but, known as 1st and 2nd Maccabees, but... AKA <laughs> fun books. Um, <laughs> but the action really starts when it gets into the history of another Antiochus. I'm not sure which one this is. I think it might be Philopater. It might be the other Philopater. It might be the other Doe Father. So there's another fresh Antiochus, and he begins a persecution of the Jews. And that's when the the story-based portion of this book begins. So first there's this elder named Eleazar. Mm-hmm. Um, the name in Hebrew means God is my help. It's very symbolic. And uh, they are trying to get this guy to eat pork. And they do this just to shame the Jews. I guess. I don't know. It's it's kind of unclear. Well, I'm going to read you. Actually, I'll read you the king's speech. The Oscar the script his yeah. speech um, trying to convince Eleazar to eat pork. <clears throat> Old man, before I begin to have you tortured, I would advise you to eat the pork and save yourself. I respect your old age. Even though you have had gray hair for a long time, you don't seem to have a mature understanding of things since you observe the Jewish religion. Why are you disgusted by eating this animal's delicious meat? It's a gift that nature has given to us. It's stupid not to enjoy pleasant things that aren't shameful, and it's wrong to refuse nature's gifts. I will think that you are even more stupid if you continue to disobey me to your own disadvantage for the sake of your brainless ideas about the truth. Come on, wake up from your silly philosophy and get rid of your brainless thinking. Adopt an attitude that is more appropriate for a mature person and adopt a philosophy that is to your advantage. But Eliezer's like, yeah, right. We Jews practice clear thinking because that's nowhere else in the entire Bible. But it's the pet philosophy of the guy writing this book. (laughs) Fuck you. So one thing I do like about this is the goal of this book is to justify the Jewish religion in a like Greek philosophical way. Yes. Yeah, definitely. And so Eliezer replies, You scoff at our philosophy as though living by it were irrational, but it teaches us self-control so that we master all pleasures and desires, and it also trains us in courage so that we endure any suffering willingly. It instructs us in justice so that in all our dealings, 
we act impartially, and it teaches us piety so that with proper reverence, we worship the only living God. Now, everything but the last one is like, those are the tenets of like stoicism. That's what I'm saying. It's like, he's like, yeah, we're all about clear thinking. That's nowhere else in the Bible, but we're all about it now. No, it's just, it's very strange. That's why, you know, this can't be canonical for like anybody. Yeah. <laughs> because yeah. it's a strange, like hybrid Greek Jewish Totally. essay from totally. a from a a person that was not divinely inspired so they start whipping eliezer to death mm-hmm. um, so he's like bleeding everywhere <laughs> Spoiler alert. yeah he's bleeding everywhere and but he doesn't emotionally react because he is so logical and some of the king's staff members are like horrified to see an old man suffer through this and so they're like here Here's some kosher meat. Just eat it and pretend that it's pork. Mm -hmm. And he's like, no, I'm in complete control of my emotions. I'm thinking extremely fucking clearly. Logic rules. Fuck you. I'm going to die. When he was now burned to his very bones and about to expire, he lifted up his eyes to God and said, you know, oh God, that though I might have saved myself, I am dying in burning torments for the sake of the law. Be merciful to your people and let our punishments suffice for them. Make my blood their purification and take my life in exchange for theirs. Spoiler alert, he does not. (laughs) After he said this, the holy man died nobly in his tortures. Even in the tortures of death, he resisted by virtue of reason Mm -hmm. for the sake of the law. And then it concludes, the author concludes, so without question, godly thinking rules over the emotions. Like this obviously proves my my thesis. There could be no other interpretation of it. Um, It's interesting that martyrdom would be the justification he chooses for his like super logical yeah yeah and we'll get into that point of view we'll get into that more in a second but at first i want to read this extremely amazing quote okay it better be extremely amazing you better not be exaggerating i'm for comedic or otherwise purposes. i'm not i'm not are you ready yes although the tyrant's storms beat against the ship and the powerful waves of torture crashed over its decks. Eleazar kept the rudder of godly living straight until he sailed into the harbor of immortal victory. <laughs> there you have it. It's pretty pretty metal. It's awesome. So now he's going to get into the seven brothers um, that we saw in 2nd Maccabees, um, where they were... In 2nd Maccabees, they were dismembered and fried in a giant pan one mm-hmm. by one in front of their mother mm-hmm. for not eating pork. Um, and in 2nd Maccabees, they, they kept saying they weren't afraid to die because A, they'd be resurrected on the day of the Lord. Mm-hmm. And B, Israel's enemies always get punished worse than Israel. Yeah. Um, but 4th Maccabees is going to treat the story a little different. So... And by different, you mean extremely dramatically. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, we are going to get into very specific detail. We're going to go through all of the seven brothers one by one. So again, in this version, also the king tries to get them to eat pork. um, And he sounds in this version a lot like a chick tract, you know. Explain that just briefly, if you wouldn't mind. Oh, a chick tract Um, is is those those comic books by Jack Chick um, that are like fundamentalist Protestant uh, comic books that that tell you that you're going to hell for like partying or 
playing Dungeons Dragons or anything like that. I'm sure you've seen them on the internet. And if you haven't, just Google Chick Tract and it'll be a wonderful world world for you to explore. It's like a Tijuana Bible, but not really. Okay. Yeah, sure. Um, Here's a direct quote from 4th Maccabees. It says, uh, trust me, abandon your traditional way of life. Enjoy your youth by changing your customs and adopting the Greek way of life. Play Dungeons and Dragons. Attend a Catholic mass. You won't regret it. (laughs) Plus, I'm Popeye. (laughs) Um, But the brothers... Where it... Where it differs from Chick Tracts uh-huh. is in the extreme gore. Yeah, well, yeah. Um, so the brothers, uh, quote, resisted the tyrant's arguments with their own philosophy mm-hmm. and defeated the power of his tyranny through, you guessed it, clear thinking. Mm-hmm. The rationale is a little different from Second Maccabees. Because they say, um, we will gain the awards of moral character through the suffering, and we will be with God for whose sake we suffer. You, however, will be tortured forever by divine justice. So it's not a resurrection No. in in the apocalypse. It's something more like an afterlife. Well, at the end of the book, spoiler alert, it's revealed that these martyrs are given immortal souls. Don't spoil it. You can spoil it. I'm just kidding. Which is different from being resurrected on the day of the Lord. Yeah. Or living forever in heaven, I guess. Yeah. It's different from... The theology is what is a little mixed up. Yeah. It's not totally consistent with what we've seen before. And I don't know if it's consistent with what we've seen afterwards because I have not indulged in any Christian spoilies. <laughs> Good for you for resisting temptation. But I do want to say, to give you an example of the kind of gore we're dealing with here. Uh-huh. When the first brother has died, uh-huh. do you feel like you've adequately explained the first brother's objections and his speech? Um, yeah. So he's yeah he's tortured on the wheel, uh, and and he exhibits clear thinking until he dies. Of course. Uh, and while he was saying these things, uh-huh. these clear thinking things, yeah, they spread fire under him, and while fanning the flames, they tightened the wheel further. The wheel was completely smeared with blood, and the heap of coals was being quenched by the drippings of gore. Yeah. And pieces of flesh were falling off the axles of the machine. (laughs) Although the ligaments joining his bones were already severed, the courageous youth, worthy of Abraham, did not groan. So. (laughs) I probably won't read all of these, but I took snips of of all of the goriest parts of it. It's really great, because like in Second Magnus, they were just like, oh yeah, like they dismember them and they like fried them in giant pan alive. Isn't that grotesque? And Fourth Maccabees is like, hold my beer. <laughs> <laughs> I I've got this. I need to drip gore on the coals. Yeah. Um the you second... get that blood steam, I guess. Ugh. <laughs> Ugh. The second brother, they uh rip out his muscles like leopards, like wild leopards. And they uh, tear off his scalp, yet he remains an insufferable internet debater to the last. Uh, And he says, don't you think that you are being tortured worse than I am, since you are seeing the proud logic of tyranny defeated? Mm -hmm. You know? I mean, I... I, I'm not mad. You're mad. That's an ad hominem attack. As much as I'd like to make fun of people from the internet as well, I will say that... This displays the 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 theology of the book very clearly, which is that physical suffering means nothing in in the face of like spiritual Logic. spiritual suffering. Logic. It says you think you're torturing me, but in fact you were the one 
who's being tortured. Yeah, because I'm not mad. You're mad. You're discovering. Seems like you really can't discuss this topic. That you're wrong. Because you're so emotional. Mm-hmm. Uh, the third brother, they dislocate his limbs. They break his bones. And uh, it says they, quote, tore off his scalp the way the Scythians do it. They used their fingernails. Another slam on the Scythians. I know. What's, those dudes are like really they must be they must be nasty as hell. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, the fourth brother has a great line. Apologies to all our Scythian <laughs> listeners out there. The fourth brother has a great line, which is, "You don't have a fire hot enough to turn me into a coward." That's pretty badass. Yeah, I like that one. Um, the fifth bro. Uh, they they put him on the wheel too, and it says they stretch him until quote he was curled back all the way like a scorpion. Oh shit. That's that scorpion stance. Um, um, he says, Tyrant, you are doing us a huge favor without intending to. I'm not owned. You're owned. I actually think this is funny. <laughs> I also like one of those bros in there said uh, something that I liked, which was God will visit you swiftly for you are cutting out a tongue that has been melodious with divine hymns. Oh, yeah. I think that's the sixth bro mm. who also says. If you think torturing me for not eating polluted food is the right thing to do, then torture away. <laughs> that's how the CEP renders it. Torture away. Yeah, that's not. I don't think that's quite accurate. To um, the he also says text. The six of us boys have brought your tyranny to an end. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like Seymour baby boy tape here. <laughs> and also he says, because of this, our clear thinking remains undefeated. Mm hmm. Now we arrive at the the seventh and final bro. And he's like, okay, okay, I want to speak to the king. This is the littlest boy. Yeah, this, this is the is youngest This is the youngest, youngest man. And they think that he's going to like beg for mercy and eat the pork. They're like, eat the pork smash mouth. And instead, what he does is he shouts philosophical arguments at the king for like five fucking minutes. He but does. nobody interrupts him. Mm-hmm. And then he jumps in a pile of burning coals and dies. That's his deal. But then we get we get to visit with. Yeah, but so then he gets to the mother. Well, first he says first he says that like the brothers are strengthened by like their magical sibling love for each other. Yeah, that's which, super weird, right? Like, I don't see how that jibes with like clear thinking triumphing over emotion. It goes into this whole thing about how, like, they've spent their whole lives with each other. So they're very, they're, like, super empathetic with each other. Yeah. Sympathetic is how it's actually described in, in the text of mine. And then it says that only leads them to a state where clear and rational thinking <laughs> yeah. in the state of inspiration by the divine law yeah. can overcome the emotions of fear and anger that, that would be subsuming them. Yeah. And then it gets into the mom. It's actually kind of interesting. So, like, it says that basically the mom experienced the worst torture of anyone mm. because she watched them all get tortured and she experienced their torture vicariously because of, like, her magical mother love. And then it goes into this, like, a paragraph-long tangent about how, like, 
mother love is magical and even animals love their children and like birds build nests for their children, etc., etc. Just as Noah's Ark carrying the world in the universal flood stoutly endured the waves, so you, O guardian of the law, mother, overwhelmed from every side by the flood of your emotions and the violent winds, the torture of your sons, endured nobly and withstood the wintry storms that assail religion. Yeah, so it's as... um, Jesus, it's all mixed up. (laughs) The quote... Is is like uh, it's it's not surprising that the sons could withstand torture when quote even a woman's mind could withstand it as their mothers did, which obviously is very sexist. But I did think it was kind of an interesting argument that like the mom was able to use her clear thinking mm-hmm. to defeat her emotions, even though she was experiencing like. The strongest emotion possible, which is a mom seeing her children die. And the root of it all is the law, is the divine law. Yeah. Is the Torah. Yeah. I suppose. Yeah. So uh, it's definitely misogynistic, but it also like gave credit to the mother for being like the strongest clear thinker of all. Mm -hmm. Um, The mother gives a little speech in in response to the death of her sons. mm -hmm, Which she she gave a little tiny speech in second Maccabees. She did. Yeah. This speech is is pretty great, though. I'm going to read some of it. So this is actually happening before the sons are tortured. And it mentions it in the story that she like speaks to them in the Hebrew language and nobody else makes a note of it. Oh, right, right. But she says to them, my sons, noble is the contrast to which you are called to bear witness for the nation. Fight zealously for our ancestral law. Remember that it is through God that you have had a share in the world and have enjoyed life. And therefore you ought to endure any suffering for the sake of God. For his sake also our father Abraham was zealous to sacrifice his son Isaac, the ancestor of our nation. And when Isaac saw his father's hand wielding a knife and descending upon them, he did not cower. He was a baby. (laughs) He wasn't a baby. He He wasn't a baby. He was a little kid. He was like an adolescent. No, he didn't cower. Daniel the righteous was thrown to the lions in Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael. That's Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego by their Hebrew names. Mm -hmm. Were hurled into the fiery furnace and endured it for the sake of God. You too must have the same faith in God and not be grieved. It is unreasonable for people who have religious knowledge not to withstand pain. How about that? It's really interesting because after she uses those biblical examples, Mm -hmm. um, the author of 4th Maccabees in describing her, says that the children's voices calling out to their mother from the midst of their torture held her attention more strongly than the sirens singing. Hmm. Not a biblical reference. It's not a biblical reference. Reference to Greek literature, Greek mythology. So then 4th Maccabees wraps up with some more philosophizing. I gotta say, I find this version of the story much less convincing (laughs) than the one in 2nd Maccabees. Even though... This one is actively trying to be convincing and Mm. Second Maccabees wasn't. Well, this is the opera version. I mean, this is the version where when anybody dies, they're given an aria to express the themes of the piece. And that's true. But it's also the like essay version, right? Like the whole (laughs) the whole thesis is I'm going to logic you into being a martyr because only logic is strong enough to make people into martyrs. I see. It's a little self-contradictory. I think it's I think, first of all, it's a weak argument. And it's, I mean, yeah. And it's poorly laid out. <laughs> so like in Second Maccabees, in Second Maccabees, they didn't base their actions on logic. Right. I wouldn't necessarily. Because that's completely inconsistent with all of the Jewish faith. Yeah. And like point. all of the Bible that we've read. So yes. Far. I wouldn't say 
necessarily that they like base their actions on emotion, mm. but I would say that they base their actions on a narrative, right? So like last week, mean? last week I was saying that I was really interested to see how these martyrs used the narrative that we had read a million times mm-hmm. of like the day of the Lord is coming and Babylon will be punished. And they are willing to die for that, even though we were like, okay, yeah, we know it. We're done. Okay. It's boring now. But, but they didn't find it boring at all. They found it inspirational. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that this torture that they're experiencing at the hands of the Greeks in these books is like the middle of the story. And they know the end of the story is going to be a happy ending for them mm. where they get resurrected and and their enemies will be punished. So, like, if I were deciding whether or not to die for a cause, mm-hmm. which I kind of have been because of Trump, and I hope that anyone listening to this podcast in the future thinks that sounds ridiculous. Mm-hmm. But at the current moment, to me, it doesn't feel ridiculous. And when I'm thinking about like what I would be willing to die for, I'm thinking about like profiles and courage, like narratives that demonstrate convictions that I want to emulate. Mm. So I think I would be more convinced by like that lady that sued McDonald's because her coffee was too hot. Yeah, dude, dude. They made that coffee way too hot. I know that was okay, dangerous. Like, that it was shouldn't be able hot. to like give you fourth degree burns. Yeah. Like no coffee should be that hot. Their coffee was too hot. But. I would be more convinced by the second Maccabees version of this than like, well, actually, if you think about it, you know, like you could technically. It's only logical that you would martyr yourself for God. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I don't even think they're that different philosophically if you really look at it. Like, I'm kind of nitpicking because they're both like the basic logic of each of them is like. It's fine for me to die right now because I'll be rewarded later. I think it's it's this logical leap of martyrdom that you have to accept that your death will cause more good than it will prevent. Yeah. But so like it is a logical leap like you're saying. And I think that second Maccabees like allows you to take that logical leap because it doesn't have like an argument per se. And it's also I think arguing. it's I think it's rooted in in the tradition of the Old Testament much more closely. Uh-huh. And we are we have enough info about that that we can accept that like somebody with this amount of faith would do these things. Yes, but even from the perspective of somebody in 2017 mm-hmm. who has read more like persuasive essays with the thesis and examples than like inspirational stories from the Old Testament. Sure. I think that like I would be personally much more willing to follow an inspirational story whose convictions I wanted to emulate than like someone who wanted to argue me into martyrdom. Yeah. Like I just don't, <laughs> I just don't think you're going to be able to like argue that many people into like not eating pork. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like I think it has to be this guy's all about reason and I think it has to be not reason to do this. Yeah. That's interesting because I think there are parts of it and we we should probably roll this into rating this book. Oh, at this okay. Point. Um, Are you ready to read this book? I'll be ready in just a moment. Okay. But what I want to say is okay. portions of this guy's argument about why the Jews don't eat pork mm-hmm. are actually kind of interesting. Mm-hmm. And, and they were, like I said, they were the ones that, that emulated sort of stoic values. They were basically like, we don't eat pork because that's the law of our God. Yeah. 
and obeying the law of our God is first among all things. Mm -hmm. And even though it would make us fit in better and we can acknowledge that, acknowledging that and still not eating pork because we're obeying the law makes us better people. It's, therefore, dot, 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 question mark. Therefore, dot, 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 question mark. But the real problem of it is it's sort of like accept an irrational thing and then uh-huh. base your rationality on that. Yeah. <laughs> except that like, which like I'm willing to do that, mm-hmm. but not if you're telling me that like your entire argument is based on rationality. Right. Yeah. You have to acknowledge the assumptions. If you're like, you need to go past past rationality and here's some people who did. Then I'm like, okay, I'm on board. Or I, I'm potentially like, okay, I'm on board. But if you're like, reason is great. Reason is above everything. Reason is above emotion. And these people did this completely unreasonable thing that you should also do too. It's like, no, I'm, I can't, I can't logically follow that no matter how Greek you are. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's a perfect time to start rating these books. And okay. I propose a radical idea. A radical idea. We're going to split ratings on these. What? Because these are two very different pieces of work. Yeah, they are. So first I'm going to ask how you would rate third Maccabees. Third Maccabees, I'm going to give seven out of nine drunken elephants. Mm. It gave me a an extremely powerful, albeit very disturbing, window into human behavior and how the shit that happened during the Holocaust happened 2000 years earlier for the same reasons for the same reasons of like scapegoating and political capital and fear and hatred and um i don't i don't know why it isn't famous i don't know why it isn't famous yeah for the same reasons i'm going to give it like eight and a half out of nine king's friends mm-hmm. because it it's not the most perfect piece of poetry that we've read it's not the wisest piece of work that we've read. Um, it's not the most evocative or inspiring piece of faith literature that we've read. However, at the same time, it is... It might be like the most significant thing that we've read. It's the most shockingly accurate piece of literature that we've read um, that applies to the politics of, of culture and, uh, and of religion in the world today. Right now in 2017. Yeah. yeah. In the way that it, it parallels um, the personal motivations of a political person as well as their political output. If only so that it establishes a link between now and 2200 years ago. Uh-huh. It should be something that, that everybody should read. Yeah. Because people should know that this is not a new problem. Yeah. It's insane that it that this exact same thing happened 2000 years ago. Or that this idea of inclusion and exclusion or of persecution of a minority in a community. Scapegoating. That it was a thing that existed then. Yeah. And is functionally identical. Unchanged. It's exactly the same. Even the language is exactly the same. And it's really remarkable. How would you rate fourth Maccabees? Fourth Maccabees, I'm going to give a little lower. Mm-hmm. I'm going to give it three out of eight shitty subreddits. <laughs> How about you? Yeah, similarly, I think I'm going to give it like five out of 35 drippings of gore. Wow. That's quite low. I mean, it's a really half-baked philosophical essay that incorporates elements of of a Jewish story into it 
claiming that like the Jewish law is the source of all this like reason, mm-hmm. but that that very basic assumption is not explored in the essay. Yeah, and that's like the missing link of the whole thing. Like, yeah, you, if you want to claim that this is a super logical explanation of why reason should trump emotion, but then the basis of reason don't say Trump on this podcast. <laughs> Why why reason should always overrule emotion. Uh-huh. <laughs> but then you don't explore how illogical right. the the connection between like an immutable Jewish law right. and a sense of reason is, then you're it's just flawed. And I mean I like in a certain kind of way the the comic book violence of it, just because it's a it's a strange change from a bunch of stuff mm-hmm. and the operatic sense of everybody getting a speech before they die. <laughs> I like that. A, like fucking five minute, super boring philosophical speech that makes no sense. Mm-hmm. Well, I kind of like that overall. It's a it's a weak entry, and I would deny it canon in my Bible as well. I would too. <laughs> I definitely would deny it canon. So that wraps the books of third and fourth Maccabees. Um, but that does not mean we are finished because, of course, we have some excellent listener mail listener to discuss. Mail. Our listener Shell Game wrote, When I heard on History Honeys that there was a podcast where non-believers, that's us, read and struggled to understand, that's kind of harsh, <laughs> the Bible, my heart raced... Don't act like we haven't struggled with this shit. <laughs> my heart raced as if it were uncircumcised. Nice. You should go to the doctor. <laughs> Shell Game also talked about growing up Baptist and eventually leaving when... Quote, I made friends in high school who showed me that deep down I actually liked caring about others and that I was judging the wrong people. Yeah. Thanks for the incredible stuff, Shell. <laughs> Thank you for your kind letter. <laughs> we also got a letter from uh, another listener who is a Lauren O, which is confusing for me, the real Lauren O. At the real Lauren O. Um, and she wrote, I just found your show a few weeks ago through Toasty Twitter links. Hi, Toasty Twitter. Go listen to our Ecclesiastes episode. Includes Mallory Ortberg. And she said, it's it's hitting me in all the ex-Christian fields. I've especially enjoyed the foray through the prophets, as that was always the section that bogged me down as an evangelical NIV reading teen. The fucking NIV, dude. She said, uh, might I suggest a little game of screw, Mary kill with various sets of the apostles. For instance, Jesus, Peter, Paul, or Peter, Judas, Mark. We will, we'll, we'll get to that. We'll get to that in the New Testament. Uh, our listener, Robert, wrote in, uh, who said, I- I'm an atheist, too, and was a professional singer for many years for many different churches. He also asked us uh, if we would bless his dog, Ghost, who was an English cream golden retriever. So I'm going to bless Ghost. I just want to jump in here real quick. That's a quality dog. It's a quality dog. The pictures that he's in are amazing. This dog is Cute as shit. Very cute. Seems like a top quality dog. Um, so here's my blessing for Ghost. No one anywhere is to harm Ghost at all or cast any blame on him regarding these senseless events. You should be aware that if we ever devise any evil against Ghost or trouble him in any way, we won't have a human being as our enemy, but rather the Most High God who is Lord over every power. Take that, Ghost. You excellent dog. You you. excellent, cute dog. Our listener Ryan wrote in and said, Nico, as a scientist, I've got your back about the difference between monkeys and apes. Boo! 
Science may not be taught in this country much longer. Let's hold on to what we have. (laughs) (laughs) If you get 100 emails about people who care about the difference between monkeys and apes, maybe Lauren should have to quit Twitter. Never! (laughs) He also says he loves the show as an ex-Mormon and atheist who has read the Bible, King James even. Whoa. It's interesting to revisit just how crazy that Bibble be. That Bibble be. And let me remind you, listeners, that Bibble be crazy. Is she crazy? Thank you, Ryan. That will do it for Sunday School Dropouts tonight. Um, you can follow us on Twitter at Sunschool Drop. You can follow me on Twitter at Lauren E. O'Neill. You can O'Neil find us on... spelled like Shaquille. Excuse me. Please don't step on my line. I'm so sorry. Lauren E. O'Neill. O'Neill spelled like Shaquille spells it. You can find us on Facebook by looking for Sunday School Dropouts. Or just... Facebook.com slash Sunschool Drop. We would also like to thank Elise Carlton for our logo, as always. And I'd like to thank Nico for his music, editing, and sound engineering skills. Thank you very much, my dear. If you want to send us email or you have a pet or animal friend that you'd like to be blessed or cursed, you can do so at contact at sundayschooldropouts.lol that's contact at sundayschooldropouts.lol and we would also super super love it if you would rate us on itunes we don't run any ads we don't ask for money we would just beg you to please take 30 seconds and write us a tiny little itunes review you know give us like five out of five scorpions curved all the way back mm-hmm. you or, know yeah five out of the five tortured beautiful jew boys yeah or not that one but please don't do that <laughs> but whatever you know you can do that if you want i guess it's fine with me that will wrap it up for sunday school dropouts tonight um we will not be back next week because we have reached the conclusion of season one season one is done old testament old testament styley we are done with season one. Old that does... test a breath mint. <laughs> Don't really get that. But that does not mean we are done by any means. In fact, we are going to take a short break. And what we're going to do is try to improve the show. Um, we improve are... it. It's already, it's already perfect. Well, I know it's a top 10 all-time podcast. <laughs> for everyone. Time. Yeah, mm-hmm. for everyone. Yeah. And there's no way anybody could have any objections mm-hmm. or not love every single second of this show. Right. But... However, we are going to take a brief break to work on a couple things. We got some very special stuff planned that I think you are going to love. I think everybody is going to enjoy all the changes. Lauren is getting recast. <laughs> I'll be replaced with a uh, a CGI otter. <laughs> That's going to be cute as a button. <laughs> so we'll be back in a couple of weeks. Season two, New Testament. It's going to rule. It's going to rule. I hope you all enjoy it. I want to thank you all again, everybody who's listening and has listened since the beginning or from any time after that or from far in the future. (laughs) I want to thank you personally because it's a real pleasure to present this show to all of you. Uh, It means so much for us to share this experience with you. It does. And we feel really honored and really touched and we're really proud of all of you. Yeah. And... We love you. We love you. And thank you for for letting us into your lives. And that's all we want to say. See you on Sunday. See you on Sunday. Bye. Bye.
Our bodies come in different shapes and sizes, so doesn't it make sense that our weight loss plans should too? That's the beauty of Noom. They build a personal plan that factors in dietary restrictions, medical issues, and other personal needs so your plan works for you. Noom doesn't restrict or shame when you want to treat yourself. Their flexible program focuses on progress instead of perfection. You don't have to give up carbs or anything. And with their daily lessons, you can learn something new about your food choices every day. After just a few days of using the app, I learned how to recognize cues for overeating and how to choose the right foods to feel full. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M dot com. And check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for a hundred healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold.